Welcome to episode two of Give Me Some Truth, the research-based podcast unraveling the fact from the fiction in the history of the Beatles. My name is Obadiah, and I'm your host. episode, we examined how the timeline of one of Ringo Starr's favorite stories about the time he quit the Beatles and holidayed with Octopi in Sardinia is not entirely true. This week, I am joined by author, producer, and musician Jerry Hammack to re-examine a firmly held assumption about the recording of Dear Prudence that is all but cemented into our understanding of this period in the Beatles story. Jerry is the author of the five-book series, The Beatles Recording Reference Manuals, that outlines the creation of the group's official catalog from first take to final remix. Jerry has created a reader-friendly format, including diagrams, to understand the recording of each song, the instruments and studio gear involved, and other session information. I own all five volumes and often find myself reaching for them as quick reference. Not only has Jerry published the paperback books, but he continues to update them with new information and corrections in Core Agenda you can download as PDFs from his website, BeatlesRecordingReferenceManuals.com. So let's talk about Dear Prudence then. Yeah. I guess we should start at the beginning. Do you remember the first time you heard the White Album? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't. But, uh, uh, you know, let's see, 1968, I'm uh, seven years old. Um, uh, you know, the tracks are spinning around. Of course, I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing the, Re- the Revolution singles out there. Um, yeah, I'm hearing it. It's around me. My, I think my, my neighbor across the street, I know, had it. And, and we eventually, you know, my family eventually, you know, had a copy numbered, you know, um, that was a, tr- you know, it was a treasure. Um, but when exactly it came into, you know, m- you know, came into my consciousness, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Seven year old. As we learned in episode one, Ringo's family trip to Sardinia did not in fact take place in August 1968 when he walked out of sessions for the Beatles' double LP. The commonly held belief is that during Ringo's time away from the band, the other three Beatles completed work on Paul's Back in the USSR at EMI and John's Dear Prudence during three days at Trident Studios. As we discussed in the last episode, Ringo walked out on the first day of sessions for Back in the USSR, and his absence from that recording is undisputed. Whether it was Paul or Ringo who played drums on the subsequent recording of Dear Prudence, however, has been a hotly debated topic among Beatles fans for decades. Those who believe Ringo played drums have been dismissed because Ringo wasn't there. But what if he was? Dear Prudence, open up your eyes. 
To begin, it is important to understand how the drum parts we hear on the final version were recorded. First, there is a core drum part that was recorded as part of the backing track, along with John and George's acoustic guitars. Unlike the final part, this first drum track does not include 10 bars of continuous fills after John sings, Won't You Let Me See You Smile, near the end of the song. Instead, the drums maintain a simpler beat, with the occasional fill. We can hear this part because it was preserved leaking into the vocal microphone. Won't you let me see you smile? Dear Prudence Oh, won't you come out to play? Dear Prudence I greet the brand new day What we're used to hearing those fills all through that is a pretty much a straight. Yeah, just a back, just a backbeat, just a backing track with a few, with a few fills thrown in. Yeah, with a, yeah, with a few, with a few. If I'm honest, <laughs> <laughs> Ringo sounding fills. Mm. Right, you know the way that he leads into them, that where they, you know, where they, where they come in, hmm. you know, where that accent, where he, where he leaves the backbeat to fill that you're hearing that in those examples, that's, you know, it's Ringo. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Either later in the initial session or in the following day or two, a second drum track was recorded from around two minutes and 50 seconds on the released recording to the end of the song that included the 10 bars of free-flowing fills. It is likely that this second part was a composite of multiple attempts because the sound of the snare changes partway through from a dampened thud to a more open, ringing timbre. It is also likely that these drum fills were recorded after the lead vocals because they're not heard behind the isolated vocal. To give credit where it's due, I first heard the observation about the changing snare sound from Raymond Schillinger on his YouTube channel, You Can't Unhear This. To me, it suggests a different day. To me, it suggests the next day of recording. Why? Because the mic setup has changed. You know, why does a drum sound different? It's proximity of the mic to the drum, right? It's, you know, in, in this case, it's proximity. We, we have no reason to expect that they're using a different drum kit. But we have every, expect, we have every reason to believe, if we hear that change, that what's changed is the distance from of the from the mic to the snare that could that could change could have changed um or, or likely changed because especially if i know that i'm doing fills now for instance you know that's what i'm i'm in, that's what i'm trying to capture now yeah my approach to micing could you know, might be completely different i'm not trying to get the overall set anymore which you know yeah i'm not trying to get the overall set anymore i'm just trying to get these fills so I'm going to, you know, so I very likely would move my mics around to be sure I'm getting the best representation of the drums that I am recording. Um, uh, so to me, it's just a different day.
anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would have always assumed, I, I guess, that Ringo played drums because he's the drummer, right? Uh I would have I would have assumed until I knew better that Ringo was the drummer on it until I had yeah yeah until I had until I was looking into any of this stuff absolutely my assumption would be you know Ringo Ringo's the drummer with the Beatles and so Ringo played drums on Dear Prudence in the same way you know for decades I misbelieved that Lennon didn't play as much guitar as he ended up as he really played because you know John's the rhythm guitar player George is the lead guitar player, so George plays the leads, right? No, not the case. And you know, but but um, but my you know my younger, less less knowledgeable self, uh, no, it's not that much younger. <laughs> would say, yeah, Ringo's the drummer on Dear Prudence. Of course he is. Ringo's the drummer for the Beatles. You know, it sounds like Ringo playing drums. It sounds like Ringo playing drums on Strawberry Fields Forever. And, and we know it is, right? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's Ringo. He's the drummer. But then you then you learn through, you know, different layer, you know, different layers of information that apparently Ringo was out of town. Hmm. He'd quit the Beatles, and not only quit the Beatles, he's out of town. So now Ringo couldn't have played right. the drums on Dear Prudence um, for the you know for those two reasons. Uh, so who played drums? Well, you know, Paul was the next most competent drummer in the Beatles. And uh, uh, so, again, very likely, yeah. you know, Paul's, Paul's drumming on it. There's a couple of drum parts, of course. Right. And, uh, and the cacophonous part of the Dear Prudence thing, which reminds you of the cacophonous part of Strawberry Fields Forever. Um, with, uh, with Strawberry Fields... You know, you have a, a a drum part that is layered. There's lots of drums going on. And it's the same with Dear Prudence. Yeah, it just gets bigger and bigger. Right? There's more drumming, like way more drumming than one drummer could play. In those sorts of situations, um, then, you know, uh, you know, Paul would play on those things. Sometimes John and George would play on those things. Um, back in the USSR, Paul plays the core drum part, but I think actually both... If I recall my own, I don't have my book in front of me, but if I recall my own book, I believe both uh, John and George also played drums on Back in the USSR. That's my, so, my memory, too, is that it's, it's a composite yeah. of the... Of yeah, it's a composite of all of them playing, of all of them playing something, some bit of it that comes together as a drum part. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's the assumption with Dear Prudence is Ringo's, out, Ringo's quit the band and he's out of town, so... He's not the drummer, you know, another Beatle, another Beatle or Beatles right. are the drummers, uh, drummer or drummers on Dear Prudence. That's where we go. We don't know whether the whether the additional work on the drums was done in that session or the following session. Exactly. That's unknown. Yeah, to us. exactly. If the work was done. So if, you know, if the work was done within the session, then those fills that that texture could have been added by uh, by Ringo. Mm. And it's and it's, again, in keeping with stuff that was going on with strawberry fields forever. So right in the wheelhouse. Um, but, it, but if, if the next day we don't know what Ringo's doing the next day, we don't know if Ringo's still there. We don't know right. anything about it. Um, 
uh, we know Paul was there. We know John was there. We know George was there. So yeah. now we've got, uh, and again, most likely drummer, Paul. Paul likes to add on to Ringo's drum stuff. Again, back to the Strawberry Fields example where there's a lot of percussion going on yeah. and a lot of people playing it. Yeah. So, um, uh, and there's nothing inherent in the approach to the groove that you'd have to say that, oh yeah, that's for sure that's Ringo. I might, I might have something. Certain elements of the drum parts, and specifically the fills, are reminiscent of Ringo's style on earlier Beatle records. Just to name a few, I mean songs like Rain, Blue Jay Way, It's all too much. Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Nothing is real, and nothing to get hung about. And A Day in the Life. There is also a specific rhythm played on Dear Prudence that has been recycled from an earlier track. This occurs in the third bar of the overdubbed drum fills. Here it is. And here is the same rhythm from A Day in the Life. This pattern is a 16th note triplet followed by an 8th note repeated twice. Triplet 8th, triplet 8th. The difference between them is that on Dear Prudence, the fill was played on beats 2 and 3 of the bar, and on A Day in the Life, the fill falls on beats 3 and 4. 1, triplet 8th, triplet 8th, 4. 1, 2, triplet 8th, triplet 8th. Ringo played a similar but slightly different fill for Rain. In the Rain fill, Ringo played the 16th note triplets, leaving an 8th note rest the first time and playing the 8th note the second time. He also played this on beats 3 and 4 of the bar. 1, 2, triplet, triplet, 8th. Yeah, so again, absolutely, and we know Ringo played that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, however, not outside McCartney's capacity. Yeah. Let's remember that McCartney is exposed to Ringo's drumming every day. For years. So what does a drum, yeah, for years. So what does a drum fill sound like? Like, you know, I mean, I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. You know, 
if I'm hearing it because I've heard Ringo play him all the time, then it's very natural for me to right? It's not, you know, it's not a complicated lick. It's not, you know, it's, it's math. <laughs> it's how I'm going to, you know, how am I going to chop up the beat? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so in Ringo, I think Ringo said something, uh, was this recently? I think he's, he said, you know, I play the same fill every time. <laughs> it's just a different combination of drums. Um, you know, which is not not accurate, no, no. but it kind of gives you an idea, right? You know that he that he feels like he he feels like he repeats himself a lot. Yeah, that you know that there are things that he just plays that he that that that's the way that he plays. Well, and I think you you um, hear that if you go through the catalog and, and you hear the, those songs with a lot of fills. I think what's different about Dear Prudence is that it's sort of continuous. You know, you don't get that from Ringo a lot, where there's ten bars that are just nonstop filling. Yeah, and that's and 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 yeah, that's where it breaks. You know, that's where it breaks the mold. Mm-hmm. Um, now, would he be doing that on direction of you know Lennon or McCartney? Well, sure, probably. You know, is it is uh, is it something more inclined of of someone else who isn't thinking about those niceties like Paul? Probably. <laughs> While this is not conclusive evidence. These similarities may suggest Ringo's hands behind the drums on Dear Prudence. So before we get into any any new evidence that might suggest otherwise, uh, if can you still listen to it now and have a have an objective opinion of who you think it sounds like? Does it sound like Ringo? Um, yeah, it does sound. Yeah, it's it still sounds like Ringo. But I have to remember. I have to remember what I know, mm. and um, yeah, that's 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 it. So I mean, that's as objective as I can get. Is yeah, it sounds like Ringo drumming, you know, on the core of it, it sounds like Ringo drumming. Yeah. Um, but again, Ringo quit the Beatles. Ringo's in, you know, Ringo's on on uh, Peter Sellers' yacht. So he ain't drumming from there, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know that's what goes that's what 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 goes goes to my head. Unfortunately, listening alone is not enough to come to a satisfactory conclusion. But there is other evidence that can help shed light on this mystery. Published in 1988, Mark Lewison's groundbreaking The Beatles' Complete Recording Sessions book placed the date of Ringo's return to EMI Studios on the 5th of September 1968, the day after the Beatles had filmed promotional videos for Hey Jude and Revolution at Twickenham Film Studios. This would have been 14 days after he quit, which is in alignment with Ringo's supposed two-week Sardinia vacation. In his book, Lewison quotes engineer Ken Scott as saying, Within a few days, the differences had been sorted out and Ringo came back. Mal Evans completely decorated Studio 2 with flowers. They were all over his drum kit. Welcome back, Ringo. Because of Lewison's book, many think Ringo returned to the studio on the 5th of September. However, in a fan club newsletter called Father Lennon's Many Children from September of 1968, one fan, Cher Miller, 
recounted her experience of seeing the Beatles arrive to EMI Studios in the afternoon of the 3rd of September. That evening at EMI, they arrived about 7.30. First came John and Yoko in a small white van driven by Mal. Not far behind, Ringo came in a large black limousine, chauffeur-driven. He has his mustache again and looks adorable. Then, right behind him was Paul in his white mini. He stopped and signed autographs. Although Ringo was not needed for any of the overdub work on While My Guitar Gently Weeps that day, it seems he was there. The rest of Cher Miller's recollections tell us that at Mal Evans' invitation, she went to Twickenham the following day to be part of the audience for the Hey Jude promotional film. This newsletter was transcribed from the original by Sarah Schmidt on the brilliant website meetthebeatlesforreal.com. I love this blog and check it regularly to see what new photographs and information Sarah has shared. But here is the most exciting piece of new evidence. Another fan, who followed the Beatles around London in the autumn of 1968 and beyond, was Kathy Sarver, originally from Richmond, Virginia. With her trusty camera, Kathy captured many memorable photographs of the Beatles arriving to and leaving EMI and Trident Studios during the sessions for the White Album. Not only did she capture the images, but she also wrote down the exact times and dates the photos were taken. Kathy would take the cardboard box that her film cartridge came in, collapse it, and write the information on it in real time. After getting the photos developed, Kathy transferred the information onto the prints themselves and discarded the cardboard boxes. It so happens that Kathy was outside Trident Studios in St. Anne's Court in London's CD Soho district around 7.45 p.m. on the 28th of August, to capture two photographs of Ringo and Maureen arriving for the first session for Dear Prudence. In the first photograph, Ringo and Maureen are just entering St. Anne's Court from Wardour Street. Over Ringo's left shoulder, we can see a neon sign with a rooster in the middle. This sign belonged to the Warner Pathé Distributor's Office at 141 Wardour Street. In the second photograph, Kathy captured Ringo and Maureen from behind as they walked down the alley to reach the studio door. Kathy also captured photos of John and Paul arriving and John, Paul, and George leaving the studio for this same session. So if Ringo was at the session, why would he have not played on the song? If Ringo, in fact, returned to the fold after only six days, this is more in alignment with Ken Scott's recollection that their differences were patched up after a few days. Furthermore, as mentioned in the last episode, Ringo had played on the final session that George produced for Jackie Lomax's Is This What You Want LP at EMI Studios the night before. In their book series, A is for Apple, about the history of the Beatles' multimedia company, Axel Corinth, Ed Dykeman, and Antonio Caroselli uncovered EMI documentation that shows that the song You've Got Me Thinking was recorded on the 27th of August at Abbey Road. When the Beatles jammed a version of it during get-back sessions at Apple Studios on the 21st of January, Ringo was very familiar with the song. This is because he played on the original recording.
It does not seem unreasonable to me that the Jackie Lomax session was a bridge for Ringo back into the Beatles sessions. George may have even said something to him about missing him or encouraged him to return to Trident the next day. And by no coincidence, Jackie Lomax made an appearance on Dear Prudence in the days after his session. In the November 1968 issue of the Beatles Book Monthly, Mal Evans wrote his recollections about the sessions that produced Dear Prudence two months before. Paul plays piano and flugelhorn. John and I play tambourines. Clapping and chorus singing by all four Beatles, Paul's cousin John, apple rocker Jackie Lomax, and yours truly. All four Beatles. It's not known with certainty which day the vocals, backing vocals, and hand claps were recorded, but this gives further evidence that Ringo attended these sessions and suggests that he may have been present for more than just the 28th of August session. I personally hear Ringo's distinct voice in the mix of vocals singing the round, round, round bridge section. What do you think? Look around, round, 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 round. Look around, round, 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 round. Look around. During a press conference in Los Angeles to promote the Magic Christian. In late January of 1970, Ringo directly stated that the only two records I've never played on were Ballad of John and Yoko and USSR. I was away for them. Paul is great, but he only has one set of rhythm or one set of style, and he's great on that. But if you try to get him into anything else, he can't make it, you know? If you listen to those two tracks, you'll hear that the drumming is the same. Ironically, this was the same criticism that the Beatles repeatedly gave about Pete Best. Ringo's quote said within 18 months of the Dear Prudence session while memories were fresher suggests that Ringo played at least some part in the recording of Dear Prudence. As we know from the drumming Paul went on to do in his solo career and with Wings, he was far from a one-trick pony drummer, but there is a similarity between Paul's drum pattern on the two songs that Ringo cites. Ringo seems quite certain that he only missed out on those two Beatle tracks, and Dear Prudence is not one of them. For you, knowing that he wasn't in Sardinia then, and that he was in London, does that change now how you... Oh, absolutely. How you would, how you would hear the track? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, Ringo being in London, Ringo, Ringo being, uh, uh, as you've discovered and un uncovered, um, photographed in proximity of Trident Studios on the night that the session was, and, and in the time frame as well, not only the, not only the day of, mm. not, only, not only in the vicinity of the studio, but in, on the day of, in the vicinity, in the time frame. Mm. All of those things point to a very high likelihood that Ringo attended that session and uh, and again, if we look at this through the eyes of um, I'm going to get the work done in the easiest way possible. Uh, if Ringo's at a session, I will ask your listeners, who's the best drummer in the room? <laughs> and it's Ringo. There's no question. So, yeah. yeah so, uh, so an extreme, extremely high likelihood now that Ringo is the, is, is the, core drummer 
on Dear Prudence. Um, it it's hard to look at another way. Now again, can you can can anybody say and would I say like would this alter my books definitively? No, it wouldn't mm-hmm. because Ringo had also quit the Beatles, right? Right. And um, uh, and if I've quit. And I've quit because, you know, what does rumor have that he's getting criticized too much for his drum playing? I, well, I've heard, I've heard it both ways. I've heard that, that, that Paul was being too critical or too pushy about what he wanted him to play on back in the USSR. So, you know, so, so let's say that that's going on. Well, you know, I'm only a few days into having quit the band, you know. Am I ready to let go of that to play on, uh, on this track? Well, maybe because it's John's track. But maybe not. So, you know, uh, so how how I will reflect this going forward is going is going to to say that, um, you know, we now know Ringo was in, you know, was in the area, you know, uh, very, very likely attended the session mm-hmm. um, and and very likely is the drummer on the session, you know, that we can't we can't know. But we also now can't know that, you know, Paul was the core drummer on this, who, you know, next best drummer in the room, yeah, Paul. Right. You know, we can't know that Paul drummed on it uh, either. So, you know, so it's I think we have both more more clarity and more mystery <laughs> at the same at the same time. Right. And um, and that's all you can do honestly with this stuff. There's always a desire for certainty. And, and unfortunately we, you know, we, history is, a, is, can be a very uncertain thing. And I have tried as hard as I can not to make assumptions about things that I, that can't be known. Mm. And I, it's, it's, and it's difficult to stay on that because, you know, people, people want answers and you want to give them answers. And, and you when know, you're this close, you just want to make the leap to the. Yeah. You want to make, you want to make the leap, but. But um, I, I, I'm this way naturally, but I was reinforced in this uh, through my uh, uh, through my friendship with Robert Rodriguez, mm. which is which is it's okay not to know. It's better to say that um, it's better to say what you know, and if you can't make a determination on it, than to say that mm. than it is to try to be the guy that said i discovered it right you know right ringo's the drummer on dear prudence <laughs> you know um you know not yet you know not yet but i think the what you've uncovered and put together and lined up um gets us closer to that being you know you know what maybe you know eventually we will will learn you know maybe someone you know maybe someone will will show up with with that definitive statement that we can trust or some definitive, you know, evidence that we can, we can trust. But, um, whenever I'm challenged with, as you challenged me with this, Mm. this information, um, it goes through those filters of what can we know from this? What can't we know from this? And how does that impact the outcome of what we, of what, of what's been said or what we should say about it? And, um, uh, Everything pointed to Paul being the drummer. Uh, there's no reason. There was no reason based on what we knew previously 
to believe anything else uh, that other than that Paul was the drummer on Dear Prudence. So it's a it is a uh, it was a conclusion that could be made with very very high confidence, and now this takes the confidence away. Right. And now, now Ringo's back in the mix because Ringo's not in Sardinia anymore. Mm. You know, Ringo's right. You know, Ringo's photographed right around the corner from Trident. What what you've what you've opened up simply by his presence in London, and and especially at the initial session, and and, and what you just pointed out too, the nature of the nature of the part that was tracked. You know, you know, Ringo's. Ringo's seriously in play as the drummer and um, and highly likely that he's the drummer, you know, highly likely he's the drummer. And that's that's the way that I, that's the way that I would come, you know, come down on this. As you have done, uh, Obadiah, uh, I, I have out there on it's It's in every one of my books and it's on the website for for the books. If if. One of your listeners believes that they've discovered something that um, that uh, gives a more accurate picture of what went on in these sessions, or um, or helps me understand that I blew it. Um, I I want to know about mm. it. I want to I want to know about it. Um, I I routinely update the books. Pretty pretty much yearly, I take a look at information that's coming in with a new revolver thing coming out new revolver release i know that uh that uh kevin howlett will will have at least something to chew on Mm -hmm. um now it'll go through all the filters that anyone else would go through so howlett isn't excluded um you know it has to everything still has to line up even if kevin howlett says it good um and uh uh, but again if there you know if people like yourself who've discovered something like original and and meaningful to this want to put it forward i i want to know about it i i know that the community wants to know about it um just know that you will be put through the the ringer just like uh people listening to this don't know i went back and forth with obadiah num- for a number of of uh of emails about when he first came to me about about you know make the case you know make the case now he made a great, you know, he made the case. So, so he's changed the history. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate that, and I, I, I really respect that you, you do update them, and that it's not, okay, this is what I've done, and it's set in stone, and. Uh... No, we no to the extent that we can learn new things, you know, uh, and that and and we, yeah, keep this because my stuff's my. My books really do attempt to be uh, uh, a factual backbone for other research. Yeah, that's that's really what they're intended to do. All the you know the the sub the subtext of this of, of the books are from first take to final remix. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm really trying to do. Just want to get you through the making of the songs, how they were built, how they were constructed in the studio. I don't tell you the stories of, you know, London on the roof on LSD. I don't, you know, I don't um, impose my opinion, you know, on things. Um, well, very often. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, it sneaks in. Um, but the whole idea behind them is just that, that it's, it is a reference manual. It's how this work, it's how this work was done or, mo- it's how this work was done or most likely done. And, 
uh, and then you know I encourage people to take that where they may. Um, but uh, uh, that level of of information has to be open to being updated when new information comes, and and I am open to it. You know, as long as I've got the you know the uh, the wherewithal and you know the the and the energy to do it, I will. I will update the books when meaningful information comes in uh, for any of the eras that I that I've covered, any of the songs that I've covered, um, and uh, for people that don't don't uh, already know uh, aren't familiar with the books, if you have bought a you know if you bought let's say you buy it here in 2022, you buy my books, and in 2024, you know some groundbreaking new information comes out, I put together a. a a document that I share on the website and it's free that any updates I make to the book are in that document and you can download it for free and your book will be up to date. And it's a great, so, great word. Corrigendum. Yeah. Corrigendum. <laughs> it's the right word. It's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't roll off the, doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the idea is these are, you know, these are author updates, uh, you know, corrections, corrections to the record. Um, but you don't need to buy, you know, buy the books all over again. Because I know they're, you know, in total, it gets to be a little pricey for people. Well, um, I, I have to say, I, so. I own all five and I, they do what you say they do. I mean, just this morning, I somebody on Facebook said, who is that that's singing the backing vocal on uh, on Magical Mystery Tour? It sounds like Ringo to me. And <laughs> I said, no, it sounds like Paul to me. But I just said, what does Jerry think? And I just... Took it down just just to check, you know, like, what do you have for that? So it it does it does what you say it does. Yeah, and that and that's you know that's it. That's you know when I started, I had no idea I was going to write books. I thought I was going to do like a website where you could like quickly like what microphone did they use on blah 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 mm. and you know type it in and get the answer. And I realized I couldn't monetize that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so it ended up it ended up being uh, being books. And yeah yeah uh, when I started it going down the rabbit hole i never imagined that i would be you know that i would do those books and i never imagined it would be i think like a, almost 11 years of, of work so wow. there you go well thank you, you thank you for your work and no one else has to do that right <laughs> you, you've pulled it all together <laughs> yeah, at, at least the the, the bones of it you know uh, yeah and that that's all i ever set out to yeah. do just wanted to just wanted to, to give people the right bones to play with so yeah. and i understand you're working on more books to come yeah, there's uh, uh, there's a there's one other uh, uh, there's one there's one technical Beatles book that I'm working on right now. Um, I'm not quite ready to talk about. It. I've been teasing. Yeah, it a I saw bit I saw you, on, you in social media. Shared a little teaser for that one. Yeah, share a little teaser. Um, uh, it's uh, it's believe it or not, more technical than the, than the books that, uh, that, that I've already got out there. So there's, there's that, and that's just going to be one, one, one book. Okay. Um, and then, uh, I'm also, I'm working on another series of books with, uh, uh, around the Beatles with, uh, with Robert Rodriguez. Oh, that fantastic. is, uh, that's focusing on, uh, it's focusing on the recordings, but with a layer of, of context and history that Robert can bring to it that is is uh, unique and thorough and authoritative and trustworthy. So do you so, see those um, as being uh, to go alongside your reference manuals? 
Yeah, they will. Yeah, yeah they they uh, they will. Uh, uh, they don't cover. They 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 share some aspects of mm-hmm. it, but they don't. Uh, uh, but they're not repeats of the of the reference manuals. Um, uh, they will, uh, 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 and they they approach the uh, they they approach the recording work in a more holistic way. Mm-hmm. The way that I, I put together the the current manuals. Um, was uh, on a song by song basis. I follow the creation of an entire song, mm-hmm. and in these new books with Robert, what we'll be looking at is is the is the recording work uh, holistically. Mm-hmm. So the work of a session, the work you know, the work of a session versus the work of a, the work of a um, of, on a particular song within a particular session. Mm-hmm. So there's a so different uh, a different approach to it. And again, there will there will be this both um, narrative history, critical history, contextual history layers added, you know, as a part of this that I don't that I don't touch. It's not my ballywick, you know, but it's Roberts, mm. and we we just we figured together that we could, you know, again cover an area of Beatle, of of and tell a, a Beatles story that no one has told yet, mm. and so that's you know that's the idea behind it. Um, none, neither of us are interested in writing books that have already been written or rewriting books that have already been written. Yeah. You know, I, we, we both want to do books that we want to read and that aren't out there yet. And so that's, that's the idea behind this is it's, it's focused around, around their recordings and their recording work, but it, it really, I think it'll help people have a, a new understanding and an appreciation of of both how the how they came to how the how the sessions came together to create the songs, but also what was going on all around the Beatles in terms of influence and society and and all of the things that were happening within their worlds mm. that ended up being reflected through the recordings. Uh, and this is a this ability to make connection is like Robert's absolute strong point. <laughs> Just blows my. He's it's intimidating to talk to Robert Rodriguez because he's he has it all. In, he has so much of this in his head, mm-hmm. and can um, and can bring it and can bring it forward in such a great way, and and understands the connections. You know, he under, You know, people talk about like the we'll, we'll talk about like the connection of of the Beach Boys to the Beatles in um, in sixty six sixty seven right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you hear Robert put the whole narrative of the West Coast, of the West Coast U.S. music scene mm-hmm. in context with what was happening in the U.K., you haven't heard the story yet. And so that's what we're going to tell. And I'm excited. Great. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that'll be five five books. <laughs> At <don't> least. <laughs> I don't know. But we're, we're working on them now. They're, they're on their way, folks. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Jerry. This has been uh, really fun. Yeah, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to submit a question or topic for a future episode, you can write to me by email to 
gimmesometruthpod at gmail.com or contact me on Facebook or Instagram at gimmesometruthpod. I will post visuals for each episode on these platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a future episode.